CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, December 2nd, 2022. I'm going to read you a little headline from uh, not the newspaper, but my cell phone, Politico, Shia Capos, uh, per column in today's, um, on today's internet. Uh, she's talking about filing signatures to get on the ballot uh, to run for mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia filed 50,000 signatures. 50,000 signatures, ladies and gentlemen. That's a lot of signatures. You need 12,500 good ones uh, to be on the ballot. Uh, somehow or other, Jesus Chuy Garcia has become a force in Chicago politics. I say somehow or other because, yes, you all know him as a congressman. Yes, you all know him as a mayoral candidate in 2015. But way back when, my distinguished guests and I, we knew him as an upstart. Just like running for the first time. Remember the first time he ran, he barely won. They were counting down the votes in the midnight. He won for committeeman in the 22nd war in the southwest side of Chicago. So it's just remarkable to me to watch the arc of this man's career. Uh, as I, I right now, if I'm a betting man, I put him in the, as a front runner. Uh, to be elected uh, next mayor of city of Chicago. I'm not saying I'm voting for him, not saying I'm endorsed. I'm just saying if I'm a betting man and I had to go to Vegas and put money down on who I think would be the most likely to win so that I would win back my money. So calm down, everybody. I'm not endorsing the man. <laughs> just saying, a betting man, all right? I would put my money on Jesus Chuy Garcia, Congressman Garcia. Wow. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. And I know he's great at introducing himself because I have a feeling he's done this before. So without further ado, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Alfredo Cruz. Uh, thank you, Ben, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I'm a professor at Columbia College, Chicago. I teach sociology and political science. I just finished writing a new book called Latinos in Chicago, Quest for a Political Voice. Uh, the book is selling very well. In fact, my editor tells me they're re already printing more copies because it's selling so well. Uh, I lived in Chicago. I'm a native Chicagoan. I, was, I lived in South Chicago. I lived in Humboldt Park, and I live in the north side of the city. I'm married. I have three children, Wilfredo Jr., Daniel, and Alexandra. I have three grandchildren. And I'm very excited about this book. I think this book is very timely. It's what a coincidence that Jesus Garcia is running for mayor of Chicago. I kind of trace back the uh, progression of Latinos trying to get a, a political voice in Chicago, going all the way back to 1911 when William Emilio Rodriguez was the first Latino alderman in the city of Chicago. Uh, so there you go. All right, Wilfredo Cruz, something else you should know about Wilfredo Cruz. Uh, we have known each other since 1981, ladies and gentlemen. Right. He's one of my oldest friends in the city of Chicago. I had just moved to Chicago. Uh, I didn't really know anybody. I did a story for the uh, Chicago Reporter, a freelance story uh, about race relations at Evanston High School or at Evanston Public Schools. 
uh, and Wilfredo thought he was so slick and everything because he was an experienced reporter on staff. <laughs> <laughs> he was critiquing the article, but we we joined each other. He, the two of us, went on a public uh, affairs talk show. I don't know if you remember this, Wilfredo. Uh, Two o'clock we in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it was it was recorded on a Friday afternoon, but it was uh, it, it aired at like in the Sunday morning. So we walked to the show. If you could have seen us, ladies and gentlemen, I don't like how to borrow Wilfredo's tie or something. Somebody gave me a tie to wear. I didn't have a tie. I have floodwaters. My pants were so high. You can see my white socks. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. Uh, and it truly we've been great. Covering, we've been covering politics as a Chicago reporter. I started uh, covering Latino politics, uh, so that's why I'm very interested in writing this book. I always wanted to write it. I thought it was very important. Uh, but the Chicago Reporter was a great training ground for good journalists, uh, yourself and many other distinguished journalists who went on to bigger and better things. Our friend Kevin Blackstone, Tom Brune, a lot of a lot of very distinguished reporters. Oh, the great Kevin Blackstone, who. Um is uh outstanding uh, he's been on the show too an outstanding uh, sports columnist for the washington post all right uh so wilfredo and i have had many conversations about latino politics over the years and and this is the interesting thing so many of the older senior latino politicians in chicago like jesus chuy garcia or former congressman luis gutierrez these were our counterparts when we were those two young men who were going to talk in that public affairs show and i was wearing the floodwater pants uh Louis, Louis Gutierrez was a cab driver, 20-something-year-old cab driver, just working his way uh, into to politics. Jesus Chuy Garcia was working for Rudy Lozano, uh, or as an assistant to Rudy Lozano on the southwest side, just re recent graduate of St. Rita High School. I mean, our generation is their generation. And, well, Freddie, take a moment just to reflect on how the changes from those early days when you and I uh, were just starting our journalistic career uh, in Chicago, when you look at these, these, these they were kids, yeah. you know, they were Gloria Chevrolet's another name that I see her on the front cover of your book, Raven Figueroa. These are just, they were just kids. They, they were so yes. young and now they're the senior citizens of Chicago politics. Talk just a little bit about the changes those overall general changes in his, uh, Hispanic politics in Chicago since you started covering this stuff. Well, like you said, Jesus Garcia goes back a long time. He won uh, his committeeman against Frank Stenberg. Then he was elected alderman. Then he was elected uh, uh, Illinois state senator, yeah, Cook County uh, commissioner. <clears throat> now he's a congressman. So he means a lot, a lot of experience to, to bear. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of these people started very young, Miguel Del Valle, he was actually the executive director of Association House. He became a state senator. Uh, so a lot of these people, like you say, go back a long, long time. Uh, but as I say in the book, there's a new generation of politicians. I interviewed a lot of these younger people who call themselves Democratic Socialists, Aaron Ortiz, who beat uh, Daniel Berg, uh, Susana uh, Rodriguez, older, older woman, uh, Delia Ramirez, who just won as uh, the first Latina Congresswoman from the Midwest. So you have a new generation of younger, uh, very progressive politicians. So it's kind of interesting. You have the older generation like Jesus Garcia, and you have a new generation of politicians that I think are doing some very, very good work. Uh, they call some of them, they call themselves Berniecrats. They believe a lot in Bernie Sanders' ideas of affordable housing, immigrant rights, workers' rights. So they bring a lot of very refreshing ideas to the political table. So I think the political landscape for Latinos looks very good in the city and in the state of Illinois. For the future yeah yeah it was and it, in those early 80s uh hispanics 
really were just entering uh, the political uh, sphere here in Chicago. Uh, and there were a handful who had been sort of selected by what was left of the Daily Machine. And you and I used to have an argument. This goes way back to the 80s. And I would love to get your thoughts on this old argument that we have, because you kind of address it in the book as well. Uh, and back in those days, uh, I can't... I was the I was the more radical one, I think, uh, and <laughs> the more <laughs> radical one. Isn't that funny? I uh, usually am. And so the issue was whether uh, Hispanics should work their way into the system uh, through patronage jobs with the old daily machine uh, or whether they should be what Luis Gutierrez was doing and Jesus Garcia was doing, uh, challenging that old daily machine, aligning themselves with Harold Washington's uh, political movement, which was coming from the left, to challenge it uh, and defeat it and take over. Uh, and uh, I think I was the one who was saying that if you work your way with the machine, it's just crumbs. You're just getting crumbs from the table. You want the whole pie. I remember this <laughs> argument. Remember this? Crumbs versus whole pie. I think I was the one saying they're just getting crumbs. Um, I, think you, I think you were right. I mean, the machine, as I say in the book, the machine excluded Latinos. They ignored the Latinos. It took their vote for granted. Uh, Richard J. Daly didn't do anything. He was uh, the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party. He didn't slate any Latinos for office. He didn't help anybody become alderman, alderman person or state representative. So they kind of just ignored the, Latin, the Latino vote for a long, long time. Latinos were on the outside looking in. They were powerless. Uh, so the machine was notorious for taking care of the Irish with patronage and city jobs and city contracts and city businesses, but ignoring uh, communities of color, especially the African-American community and the Latino community. There was one group called Amigos for Daily, a Mexican group that kind of got some business permits and some licenses, and they kind of did a lot of work for Daily, um, voted for them. They, they had banquets for them, fundraisers for them. But in return, they got very, very, very little. So Latinos were excluded. So I agree with you. I think that the independent movement, Rudy Lozano, Jesus Garcia, Luis Gutierrez, that was the way to go. Uh, and then when Harold Washington gets into office in 1983, that's when political empowerment actually started for Latinos. The Latino community owes a great deal of debt to Harold Washington. He brought them in, he gave them city jobs, he campaigned for them. You started seeing the beginnings of a political movement, political empowerment for Latinos. Uh, uh, Jesus Garcia wins as a, 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 a alderman, and then later on as a Illinois state senator, Luis Gutierrez, alderman. He campaigned for uh, Raymond Figueroa. He campaigned for uh, Miguel Del Valle. He ran city clerk with Gloria Chavez. She didn't. She didn't win. But you start seeing the movements, the beginnings of political movement for Latinos, and all it all started with Harold Washington. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, everything started with Harold Washington. Wilfredo Cruz, uh, years ago, was a uh, assistant press secretary for Harold Washington. So uh, in many ways, uh, Wilfredo, some of the, the great achievements you've made in your life, you owe to Harold Washington. So. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I agree. He, uh, <laughs> Harold Washington signed the Shackman consent decree. He didn't have 42,000 jobs <clears throat> like the previous mayor had. He was going to abide by, by the Shackman decree, which prohibited political hiring and firing. So he had about 900 jobs at his disposal that were Shackman exempt jobs. And in those jobs, he was very fair. He included a lot of Latinos, African-Americans, a lot of women, Asian-Americans, groups that have been marginalized for a long time into the political foe. You start seeing black and brown faces at City Hall for the first time. So Harold Washington was very, very progressive. Uh, he declared Chicago a sanctuary city. He didn't want to, he didn't want to, 
police and city officials helping immigration uh, do raids in, in the Mexican community. A very, very progressive mayor in many, many respects. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, before he left a lasting legacy. He kept saying he wanted to be mayor for 20 years. And um, for the first three years, he was uh, he was prohibited by the council, uh, the two uh, the two eddies, uh, from passing a lot of major, major legislation. They uh, prevented a lot of the, his appointments to boards and commissions. It was only after Latinos won the special award, Matt, uh, that Harold Washington got control of the city council instead of doing a lot of good things. Yeah, uh, and black. There were two, uh, the special automatic yes. election of 1986 right. uh, gave Harold the uh, 26 votes he needed to take control. Actually, 25 he needed to take control of the Chicago City Council. That that leaves up, I'm with you 100%. Uh, we see total eye to eye on the significance of Harold Washington and the development of Latino politics uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, to to uh, to quote Harold Washington, I submit to you that there is no way, absolutely no way, that we would have this vibrant political community or political culture uh, in Hispanic Chicago without Harold Washington opening the doors that have been slammed shut in the face of so many Latino. Uh, want to be politicians and residents in the city so i'm with you 100 percent. we owe it all to harold washington that's why let's move on ahead it and then so, late, late, later on uh, richard uh, uh and daily uh richard and daily kind of continued some of the policies of harold washington he started bringing in more latinos into administrative uh positions at city hall but he wanted uh, politicians who were subservient more to him Harold Washington was kind of developing an independent, progressive form of political empowerment. Uh, Daily had what's called the Hispanic Democratic Organization. This was a group of people who were a patriotist army. They were going out and doing his dirty work. They went after Jesus Garcia because Jesus Garcia was very progressive. They went after Sonia uh, Silvia, a uh, state representative, got her out. Uh, so these people are being rewarded with city jobs and patronage. Uh, and the FBI investigated him. They were violating the Shackman decree. Uh, he was like his father. He was a boss. He was the son of boss. Uh, Al Sanchez, the commissioner of streets and sanitation, went to jail. Robert Sorridge, his intergovernmental guy, went to jail. I mean, it was a patronage army. He was doing what Daly was doing, his father. That was yeah. not very progressive politics for Latinos. That was a step backwards. HDO were ex-gang members. I quote you in the book. You call them a bunch of thugs. <laughs> and I, and eventually they were disbanded because uh, they were just, you know, out for themselves. That that was not the kind of political progress Latinos were looking for. Latinos were looking for more independent, progressive kind of political empowerment. Well, well, let, let's let's get back to that split that happened. Uh, and that is, I think that the Chicago's black community and Hispanic community have really been um, out of touch with each other, out of sync with each other for a long time. And in my mind, after Harold died. Uh, in 1987 and in 89 there was a mayoral election Louis Gutierrez an alderman who owes absolutely everything in his career to Harold Washington let's make this clear Harold Washington I told you he was a cab driver when we first met him when I first met him because Fredo knew him long before I did because they went to college together but when I met him he was a cab driver and Harold plucked him out of nowhere put up game of city job and then uh slated him to run for alderman and backed him got every single black person who lived anywhere near the 26th ward to vote for him and then what did he do what did luis gutierrez do he did not support gene sawyer he did not support tim evans he supported he cut a deal with daly 
And then two years later, Daly rewarded him uh, for cutting that deal and supporting Daly by making him, slating him to run for Congress. And Wilfredo, as an old Harold Washington supporter, I was really hurt by that. Um, but I feel it's done it. It's really hurt the larger coalition between uh, black residents in Chicago uh, and Hispanic residents in Chicago. The fact that Luis Gutierrez made that move to join Daly. Your general thoughts about the significance of that move that Luis Gutierrez made in 89 or uh, when he endorsed Daly. Go ahead. Well, in his defense, he said that he read the writing on the wall, that he knew that Tim Evans couldn't win. So he supported a, a winner. What's the old saying? Uh, make no ways back, no losers. So he, he was going with the winner. He was going with Daly. <clears throat> and he was right. Daly did win. Uh, it did create a big uh, split between the black and, and the Latino community. They felt betrayed. They felt that, you know, he owed uh, his, his success to Harold Washington. Uh, I think the black community, now the Latinos are the second largest group in Chicago. Whites are first. Latinos are second and African-Americans are third. They feel that their needs and their political interests are being put on the back burner. And so there's a little resentment among, you know, there's competition between Latinos and and um, and African-Americans. It's going to be interesting to see whether the African-American community is going to support <coughs> Jesus Garcia in this upcoming mayoral race. Uh, it should be very interesting. But yeah, there's some resentment. There's some competition. There's 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 some underlying differences among the two groups. But it was very impressive when Harold Washington put that coalition together of African-Americans, Latinos, and progressive whites. I think anybody who's running for mayor these days has to be very charismatic and has to know how to play coalition politics. You just can't depend on Latino vote. You need white votes, you need black votes, and you need Latino votes. So Jesus Garcia, being coming from the Harold Washington era, I hope he's uh, smart enough and sharp enough to try to bring back that coalition to get himself elected as the first Latino mayor in Chicago. Uh, let's, uh, by the way, you heard there at the opening statement that uh, Wilfredo offered, like the um, the heart and soul of the of the debates that we would have ferociously have in the 80s. Uh, so do you remain true to your ideology or do you remain true to your friends who helped you? Or do you cut the best deal you can cut for yourself? So if you sense that going with Tim Evans and Sawyer is just leading you down a path to uh, loss and defeat. Uh, but they're your friends. They were there with you at the very outset. Or do you say, the heck with my friends, the heck with my ideology, the heck with everything I've been saying in my whole political career, I'm going with Daly because he's going to win. What a decision, Wilfredo. You get what I'm saying? Do you stay true to your beliefs and your friends? Or do you just cut a deal with the man? Go ahead. What's the old saying? There's no permanent friends. There's no permanent enemies in politics, right? I mean, Luis Gutierrez said he read the writing on, on the wall. He went with a winner. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you, you go with your friend and, and lose and get locked out of politics again? Or do you try a different route? So, I mean, I I, I, I don't know what he was thinking, what, you know, what he was thinking, but he eventually worked out for him. Uh, yeah, it did. He became a congressman, and yes. then he cut a deal with Jesus Garcia. He left, and Jesus Garcia became the guy in Chicago, <laughs> man. What a city. Uh, all right, go into a little more detail. Your book uh, talks about uh, the 90s with uh, Daly uh, and into the O's and the HDO, Hispanic Democratic Organization, that you just alluded to. Uh, and then the notion that Hispanic politics politicians would embed themselves uh, into the daily organization. Uh, and that was the best way uh, to get ahead. 
Uh, you've already alluded to the the uh, corruption uh, that was so characteristic of this political organization uh, and the way they uh, violated all the agreements, anti-patronage agreements. Uh, do you right. think that, that was strategically a smart move uh, for Hispanic politicians, or do you think that uh, there is a regression and less participation because they embedded uh, themselves into a larger a daily organization go ahead yeah I, I think it was a regression I, I think they were doing the mayor's dirty work they were actually in the 10th ward they actually supported a white candidate i think pope against a latino candidate and they went after jesus garcia who was a very progressive they went after sonia silvia they were going after progressive politicians who were were not afraid to speak their mind who had a track record of doing very good things for the community they just wanted to put into power whoever daily wanted and daily wanted subservient politicians who were going to toe the party line and so it was a regression back to his father's day i didn't see that as progressive politics latinos waited so long uh for political empowerment and then to have people like the hdo uh, i didn't see that as progressive at all i saw that's very very regressive uh and then i have a chapter in the book fall from grace where unfortunately you had some politicians who got caught up in scandals and got caught up in briberies and really was is very shameful. Danny Solis and Ricardo Munoz and Mar Maria um, Santos, uh, Joseph Moreno, all these politicians who had, we had been waiting for progressive politicians and they get into office and they start taking bribes and scandals and sex scandals and bribery and kickbacks. Um, Ambrosio Medrano, um, uh, the state Senator Martin Sandoval, Luis Arroyo, I mean, just a whole list of politicians getting caught up in crime. And you say, God, is this what we waited for? Is this is the po political empowerment we had? It's, it's kind of shameful. So I end the book with the up an upbeat note of the new generation, as I said before, of Aaron Ortiz and Delia Ramirez and Aaron Vasquez and these new politicians who call themselves democratic socialists and are doing some very, very good things. I think they learned the lessons of the past that you can't get caught up in corruption. You're a role model as a politician. You have to make the promises you made in your campaign you have to deliver services for the constituents people want basic bread and butter issues they want their streets fixed they want their sidewalks paved they want lower taxes they want uh representation they they're electing you to represent them and to do good by them not to get caught up in corruption and scandals and bribery and what have you uh we'll get to that new generation i want to conclude uh with the old generation and i'll throw out a name uh, to talk about points that uh, Wolf, uh, Wilfredo and I have debated over the years. And this he knows what's coming. Joe Berrios. Uh, <laughs> I, I interviewed Joe Berrios for the book. Uh, Joe yeah. Berrios, old school, old guard politician. Yeah. Came out of the 31st Ward, Thomas Keene. Uh, he was a Cook County assessor. Uh, and I asked him about nepotism. And it was just amazing to me that he doesn't see anything wrong with nepotism. He believes that people get into politics to help their families and their friends. And he has a sister, a sister-in-law, his brother, all these all these relatives on the payroll making up to $139,000. And when I asked him about it, he said, well, the Irish did it. Why can't I do it? Well, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. The Irish did it. <laughs> that was a violation. They, sh they should not have done that. It was patronage. So yeah. this is a new area. You're not supposed to do that. He says, well, they're qualified. Well, how do we know they're qualified? I mean, that's your daughter, your sister, your aunt, your mother. I was like, the taxpayer doesn't, doesn't know that they're qualified. Those positions to go to people who have qualifications. And then the Tribune did that big tax divide issue on how he, the Cook County assessor was actually 
taxing black and Latinos at a higher rate than middle-class whites. They were getting tax exemptions and reductions in their taxes, while the black and Latino community were paying huge taxes. He was using an outdated, outmoded way of, of assessing property taxes uh, in Chicago. Uh, and he was, and the Tribune went after him real hard, and he actually was defeated. And he blames it on race. He said, they came after me because I was Latino. Well, I don't think they came after you because you were Latino. They came after you because of, of the nepotism, because you were not accountable, and because you were not doing your job. Yeah, no, that's a great riff, man. And and it's so funny that when we began, uh, I'm, I'm making this up, Wilfredo would kind of defend the Joe Barrioses of the world. At the end, I would be defending Barrios, and Wilfredo would be ripping me. But I always bought... There's a certain part of his argument uh, that I bought into Wilfredo. You already articulated it uh, very well, where he would go, the Irish did it. Why? What's the matter with me doing it? And I was like, kind of sympathetic. Well, you know, he's got a point there. I mean, uh, it, it just, I always thought it was interesting that in the city of Chicago, voters kept rushing back to elect Mayor Daley, but they would get mad at Joe Berrios. I'm like, and they go, why are you mad at Joe Berrios? Because he's nepotism. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what's daily what's hdo you know what i'm saying yes. hello ladies and gentlemen daily is the son of another richard daily who is the mayor of chicago you'll still you probably get ready to like patrick daily the, the kid so you say you don't like nepotism when it's joe barrios doing it and you keep supporting daily that's kind of where i was wilfredo at that you know, you make a good point, but like I said before, I mean, two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, just because the daily we're, we're doing that, that's that doesn't that's not the way. That's not good government. The taxpayers are ultimately cheated. Uh, people lose faith in government when they see nepotism and patronage. I mean, that's not the way to get involved in office. You're a politician. You have to do your job. Taxpayers elected you to do your job, and you have to abide and do the best you can uh, from the people who elected you. You're right. I know you're right. <laughs> I know you're right, but, you know, old habits are hard to break. So Wilfredo and I see each other. We just start arguing. I'll, I'll just go to the other point of view. Uh, and we'll we'll avoid any discussion about Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. That old argument. Uh, we'll leave that one boxing argument alone. All right. Let's let's move to the new generation. And a lot of the names uh, that you mentioned are frequent guests on this show because we share. Uh, well, they're much younger than I am, but I really uh, we share ideological uh, beliefs and Rosanna Rodriguez, uh, all yes, woman of the 33rd ward, frequent guest on the show. Uh, and, uh, Andre Vasquez was just on the show. The alderman of the 40th ward, uh, Delia Ramirez was on the show when she was a state rep before when she was running for state rep and love to get you to riff on this one. Uh, Wilfredo, when the, the difference between this new generation and I really, love this new generation of millennials uh, coming into politics and the generation, the boomer generation that we know so well, uh, because we watch them come in. The boomer generation was very focused on Chicago, Chicago political world, as though that was the beginning and the end of the universe. The new generation, the Andre Vasquez, the Deli Ramirez, the, um, they're connected in many ways to outside movements that are greater than Chicago. You already alluded to this when you said the Bernie Sanders connection. So mm -hmm. many of them got their start working for uh, in Bernie Sanders' campaign or supporting Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. He was the guy that fired them up. It wasn't a local politician like uh, Harold Washington. It was Bernie Sanders, some old guy from Vermont. And 
I find that in some ways a refreshing change uh, that people in Chicago, elected officials, connect what's going on in Chicago to what's going on in New York or what's going on in L.A. or what's going on in cities and states throughout the country uh, outside our borders. That's kind of why I view this new generation with hope as opposed to the usual jaded, cynical me. Um, your thoughts on this new generation and the connection they have to the larger political forces. I think you put it very well. I, I'm very impressed with them, too. I interviewed Aaron Ortiz. I interviewed Delia Ramirez. I interviewed uh, Rodriguez. I interviewed Andre Vasquez. Uh, they're very, I, I love their ideas. Uh, as I said before, they're very progressive. I think uh, you're right. I think they have a larger picture of public service. Uh they don't come off as politicians. They come off more as public servants. They see it as a calling. Uh, and then the, the ideas that they stand for are very refreshing. I mean, they're talking about affordable housing, talking about quality education. They're talking about immigrant rights. Uh, they're talking about rent control. Uh, they see their, their calling as, as a larger picture, not only serving residents of the city, but as you said, of the state of Illinois. Uh, and you, they have a national perspective. Uh, I think some, some of their ideas are a little grandiose. I mean, as an older person, you don't have that much. Talk. They talk about redistribution of wealth. Well, I mean, but it's still refreshing to hear them talk and their ideas. And they come, Delia just got uh, uh, elected as Congresswoman, uh, uh, first woman from the Midwest Latina. Uh, she's very sharp. I, I, it was very impressive to sit down and talk to her. Her ideas and her views are, as you said, very, very refreshing. Uh, and I, I have a lot of inspiration. I think the Latino politics in the future is going to is going to broad very well because of this new generation of politicians. Yeah, one of the uh, issues that uh, so many of the new generation of Latino uh, politicians will champion is uh, police reform. Yes, and uh, <laughs> this is another conversation Wilfredo and I've had been forever talk about police relations in Black and Brown communities. Oh my God, Wilfredo Cruz can tell you so many stories about being hassled as a youngster uh, growing up in the city of Chicago by Chicago police officers. On the other hand, uh, two of his children have become police officers. So I think you really have an ideal vantage point, uh, Wilfredo, to just sort of understand the dynamics of policing uh, and uh, Hispanic and, and black communities. Uh, your thoughts on just in general, the whole notion of defunding the police as a political issue and just as a, a practical issue in Chicago. Go ahead. Well, I don't I don't believe in defunding the police. I think you can't have a society without police. Police are very, very important. Uh, you need law and order. Uh, unfortunately, in Chicago and in many cities, you have some bad police. Uh, I, ju I just showed the film in my class today about the Division Street riots of 1966. This is the first time the Puerto Rican community that ever, ever rioted in a major city. And what was the key issue? Police brutality that police in those days were mostly white. They were very brutal. They were very disrespectful. And the community eventually got upset and rioted for three days. And then two months later, you had another riot in the black community and Daly actually called up the National Guard. Uh, but I think police overall are very important. There's a lot of good police uh, who don't abuse people, who respect people, who do a great job. Uh, so when they talk about defunding the police, I'm not quite sure what that means. I say, like, you need police. You can't have a society without police. Every town, every village, every municipality has a police department. Uh, they, they provide good services. Unfortunately, the, the, this problem of how they treat communities of color 
uh, is, is a national problem and happened in Cleveland and Buffalo and Chicago, Philadelphia. Chicago Police Department is now under a federal con uh, consent decree. They're being monitored. Uh, I just read an article in Sun Times today about the settlements that the city's paying for police misconduct. Almost like a 10 year period, it was almost like half a billion dollars, over $60 million a year uh, to families and people who have been abused by police. That's a lot, a lot of money. That money can be used to build libraries, mental health centers, schools, uh, many, many positive things. I think the next mayor has to get a handle on controlling uh, police brutality and police misconduct in the city and trying to minimize those payments that the city's making because of police misconduct. You know, it's funny. I've been hearing uh, that is sort of a refrain going back to Harold Washington in 1983. We got to get a handle on police brutality. Here we are. How many years later has it been? We're almost 40 and we got to get a handle on police brutality. I, and, you know, it's funny. I did an interview the other day, Wilfredo, uh, with uh, Angela Clay, uh, who's running for Alderwoman in the uh, 46th Ward in Uptown. Uh, I urge everybody to check out that interview. Uh, she's got a lot of interesting things to say. But she was talking about how when she was young, uh, there was a uh, officer friendly type uh, who walked the beat in the neighborhood. She knew who he was. He knew the residents. Uh, and it was a police officer who was sort of what uh, his job was to understand the community uh, that he worked in. And so it wasn't an like, occupational force. It wasn't like he was, quote unquote, policing. He was working with it was a collaborative effort. And uh, and I was like, yeah, that's what we need in Chicago. I. And then I said, we need more police officers, but we need them trained and working in communities, walking beats in communities, integrated with the communities. And I started getting that grief from my uh, listeners of the far left millennial uh, persuasion. I'm not mentioning any names. You suck like an old baby boomer, man. More police. What are you, a fascist? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know, we're really not going to make a lot of progress on this front. You get what I'm saying? If you are labeled a fascist because you recognize that society needs police. Uh, and on the other hand, there's like the Nick's Posados of the world who will just say police right or wrong, no matter what they do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I think one of the good, one of the good things that Chicago police department and many other police departments are doing is they're professionalizing their police. Uh, before all you needed was a GED or a high school diploma to become a, a police officer. These days, Chicago is requiring two years of college, and some police departments are requiring four years of college. I think that's a good, very good move. You're professionalizing. You're bringing in people who've who've taken classes in the liberal arts, sociology, and race relations, psychology. Uh, they know how to talk to people. They need, they know how to de-escalate a situation. So I think education and professionalization of police is very very important, especially when you're dealing with communities of color. Bringing in more minority police, more Latinos, more African-Americans, more women. Uh, so those are some good moves that I, that I think are very important. Yeah, we can't overlook, though, uh, yeah, that uh, the corruption of all the years. It's going to take a long time, I think, to just to, to weed that out, root that out. Uh, but that effort has to be made. All right. Uh, you, you remember the Matt Rodriguez? It was first first yes. Latino superintendent of police, the daily. We were so proud of him. And at first, he's Mexican and Polish. And then he turns out he's, he's uh, hanging around with mobsters, you know, and he's been hanging around with mobsters for a long time. It's like, what side are you on? Are you serving the people? Are you serving, you know, the mafiosos? He had to resign because it was an embarrassment for Richard J. Daly. Uh, that's my, not my, Richard M. My George point. My point. Exactly. My point. Exactly. Yes. It's going to take a lot to root out 
just the connections that sometimes we don't even see that are under the surface. Uh, and um, all right, uh, so let's move on to this final issue that will really uh, sort of control, I guess, to a certain degree or influence uh, the politics of Latinos in Chicago, which ultimately is what your book is all about. Uh, and that is gentrification. There was just an article in the uh, Sun-Times yesterday, I think it was the Sun-Times, uh, that talked about how the new property tax assessments would have the biggest impact on uh, traditionally Hispanic communities, or communities that have been Hispanic, at least yeah, for uh, yes. Our, yes. our adult lifetime. Uh, and property taxes, rising property taxes, are a force of gentrification. If Chicago doesn't recognize that now, uh, like it has its head, its collective head in the sands. Um, I've seen it happen in neighborhoods, Wilfredo, that you grew up in, uh, that you and I used to hang out in back when we were young, uh, and uh, just the, the changes in Logan Square and Humboldt Park and Wicker Park in our lifetime. And now it's happening on the south side uh, in Pilsen and the Little Village, Bridgeport, uh, et cetera, and so forth. What do you think is the long sort of, you look into your uh, crystal ball, uh, what's ahead of us in terms of Hispanics in Chicago? Are they going to be gentrified out of the city? Are they actually, the population going to fall? Uh, what's your sense of the future? That's that's a hard one. Uh, you know, gentrification has its pros and cons, right? I mean, you're, you're fixing up a neighborhood, you're bringing in good housing, you're bringing in middle-class taxpayers, uh, you're bringing stores and restaurants. Uh, but the downside is you're displacing people. It's people who've been there a long, long time. And the people are usually minority. They're usually, like you said, African-American and Latino. And they wonder why when this neighborhood was predominantly minority, why didn't the city fix it up? Why didn't they fix up the streets and the sidewalks and the stores? And why are we being displaced? So it's a very hard call. I mean, there has to be uh, ways for city officials to help people pay their pay their rent and pay their mortgages and uh, keep property taxes down. Uh, mayors can't keep raising property taxes because you lose residents people are going to leave whether they're black latino or white they'll move to the suburbs where the taxes are lower where they can get a better bang for their buck i mean you can't keep putting the burden of revenue on on property owners the taxpayers so that's very hard i mean gentrification happens uh the puerto rican community since, since the beginning of the 1950s they've been gentrified they lived in lincoln park they were moved out of lincoln park they went to wicker park they were moved out of wicker park west town bucktown now they're in humboldt park and they're being gentrified out of humboldt park and a lot of them are leaving to the suburbs and a lot of them are leaving i guess to belmont cragen and so that it, it doesn't create stability for a community when you're constantly being shifted around like that uh, I don't know what the answer is. It's, it's a very hard one. Yeah, I, I know what the answer is, which will never happen. Uh, I'm more convinced of this than ever. Uh, but of course, it'll never happen. We should go to a different system for our property taxes. Uh, we should definitely take uh, do more state funding for our schools so they're not as dependent on the property tax as they are. And then if we went to something called acquisition-based assessment, where the assessment of your home is based on how much you purchase. Just think about this, Wilfredo. Think about the home you've lived in now for many years uh, on the north side of Chicago uh, and what you paid for it back when you bought it and what it's uh, worth now if you were to sell it. Yes. An acquisition-based assessment, your assessment would be what you paid for it. Just think about how lower your property tax bill would be if it was based on what you paid for it, as opposed to what Cook County Assessor uh, Kagey's computers say it's worth now. And if you move to that, 
you would really take uh, a big step toward ending just rampant gentrification uh, and allowing longtime homeowners uh, to stay in their neighborhood. Uh, we're never going to do that because there's a whole cottage industry that thrives on the property tax system that we have now. Lawyers that do the assessment, the people who work at the county board of review, the people who work at the assessor's office. It's just like this whole industry of itself. Do you follow me, what I'm saying? Yes, uh, and uh, I do. I also believe that politically, this, this, this is the goal. And you could disagree with me on this one, but this was the goal of the Daly administration to use gentrification as a force to change Chicago, move poor people out. I absolutely believe that. So I have a solution, but that solution will never be implemented because uh, it I would like just... the solution. That's great. It sounds really, really great. You should run for mayor. I'll, I'll vote for you. <laughs> My solution. You know why he likes it, folks? It would probably cut his property tax bill in half. That's why. <laughs> That's uh, a lot of money, man, to pay what I paid for the house instead of what it's worth now. I love that. That's a brilliant idea. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I mean, the reality is, is that the house, for most people, uh, if you're a long-term property owner, uh, your house, the assessment bears no relation to your income. So the the assessment assumes that you're far wealthier than you are. It's really a, a regressive form of taxation. If you bought your home in Humboldt Park in 1980, uh, you're a factory worker, and now you're retired, and you're still living in the home, they're assuming that you're making as much money as the new people who are moving into the neighborhood, who are like doctors and lawyers and professionals. You're not. You're in a fixed income. It's the most cockamamie, screwed-up property tax system I've ever seen. <laughs> Only in Chicago would they embrace it. Wow. <laughs> you know, so anyway, don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> where do I go on and on? The name of the book is Latinos in Chicago Quest for a Political Voice. Uh, it's selling like hotcakes. Wilfredo uh, is making so much money that the next time we go out for breakfast, he's going to pick up the tab. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Out. He's going to pick up the tab. Definitely. Uh, so, uh, uh, do you have any events coming up that you want to promote or, uh, you know, uh, uh, any signings? Go ahead. No, I have a signing in January. I'm going to, I've been invited by DePaul, uh, university to speak to a three, uh, three classes of, uh, Latino students. So that's going to be in January, January 18th. Um, uh, I just finished speaking at Columbia college in one of my, um, colleagues classes. He had about 67 students. So that was very nice. Uh, but that's basically it. Okay, well, I just want to do a little promotion of my own. Uh, Rosanna Rodriguez, the alderwoman of the 33rd Ward, who's figured uh, uh, significantly in uh, Wilfredo's book, uh, will be my guest and Maya's guest at the uh, Promontory in Hyde Park. Uh, Leslie Hairston will be there. This is Tuesday, December 6th at 6.30, and we're going to have Joe Winston, who's the director of Punch 9, the great Harold Washington documentary. He's going to be showing clips. It'll be a great conversation about politics in Chicago then and now. And uh, as I said, Alderwoman uh, Rodriguez Sanchez is figured uh, in the book. There's a picture of her, a lot of great. In fact, hers is the closing quote, and I'll read it. Yes. Uh, the, the closing quote uh, from Alderwoman. I just said it, and I have to find it. Uh, here we go. Uh, it's important for Latinos and Latinas to run for political office, but also to stay connected to community and to activism. For Latino political progress, well, right now, it's looking great. We're only walking forward. We're not going back. We're going to fight hard. 
So she's pretty optimistic. Yes. Right, I'll let you close yes. with a little optimism. You're optimistic as well? Yes, I am. I'm very optimistic. I want to ask you a question. You said earlier that you think that Jesus Garcia is a front runner in the upcoming mayoral election. That's interesting. Why do you, why do you think that is? I have many reasons for saying that. Uh, one, he ran in a, uh, 2015, so there's a sense. Uh, Chicago's are like a very conservative, pragmatic bunch. I've noticed that. Uh, since 1981. And, and, and in many ways, this Wilfredo is similar. Wilfredo is a native, unlike me, he's not a transplant, born and raised in Chicago, people. Okay. Uh, went to two, graduated from Thule High School, went to Westinghouse High School. This young man went to Westinghouse High School. Okay. He was like one of the only Puerto Rican at Westinghouse High School. Let's just pause to think about that for a moment. So when I have conversations with you, Wilfredo, I really get a sense of a Chicago. Uh, mentality and and Chicagoans are very pragmatic, and so when it comes to mayor, like I'm like I'm like oh this guy's great, and Chicagoans like well he can't win, you know he doesn't know who is he, but by virtue of the fact that he's a congressman, by virtue of the fact that he ran for mayor once before and forced Rom into runoff, Jesus Chewy Garcia in the most conventional basic Chicago way is someone, so you're having well he's someone. He could, remember what you said when Louis Gutierrez had to make that decision whether I'm going to stick with my friends, the people who brought me into the political process, the people I owe my entire career to, or should I go with the winner? And what did he do? He went with the winner, and he said, the hell with my friends. That's so Chicago. That's a Chicago mentality. That's like pragmatic. I'm going with the winner. And I think a lot of Chicagoans are thinking, well, Jesus can win. I know him. I'm comfortable with him. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, to a certain degree, I almost think, and this is hard to say, that transcends uh, race and ethnicity. You know what I'm saying? To a certain degree. Yeah. I know it's hard to say, but I could just get a sense that people are like, oh, yeah, I feel comfortable with him. He'll look out for me. Kind of like Pritzker. I think a lot of Chicagoans like, Pritzker's going to look out for me. You know what I'm saying? So I, that's just a sense I have, Wilfredo, uh, at Very early on. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I think you make, you make a lot of sense. It's very, very interesting. So I, I what does it need? Is it need a large percentage of the Latino vote and maybe some percentage of the black vote and a little bit of the white vote, kind of like here in Washington? Uh, well, he needs, exactly, except, see, he's going to have really tr troubles uh, getting black uh, voters to vote for him uh, uh, at the outset. And for all the reasons we stated at the beginning, you know, go all those divisions going back to the days when Louis Gutierrez made his deal with Richie Daly. Yeah. Uh, all the divisions that were exhibited in L.A. when uh, the former council president was caught on tape making all those derogatory comments about black people, the Hispanic woman. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like people don't forget stuff like this. You know what I mean? I, but you also made the prediction that Ray Lopez was going to drop out of the mayoral race last time we spoke, and you were right on target. He did drop out. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, man, I should be taking this stuff to Vegas, making some money <laughs> on this. Yeah, come on, Ray Lopez. I just felt that he was that was he was just sort of I don't know what he was doing, but uh, he was testing the waters. He was promoting his name, his brand. He didn't uh, raise enough money. He didn't raise enough money, enough troops, or do you think he? I mean, he realized. I mean, he, he, he's in the same lane. So he's running as sort of a, a tough law and order guy. That's his thing, Raylo, uh, from the 15th Ward in the Southwest Side, another uh, guest on the Ben Jarosky show. And uh, so he's running as a, like a tough law and order guy, uh, and he really cannot stand Lori Lightfoot. And kind of Paul Vallis is, that's Paul Vallis's lane. You know, Paul Vallis, the former ch school chief, he's he friends, uh, he's pals with the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. He worked for the Fraternal Order of Police in the city of Chicago, he was an advisor to them. 
You know what I mean? He hangs out with yeah. Jeannie Ives. So he's he's already got that lane. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that Raylo realized that uh, he wasn't going to win. I mean, he may have been having trouble getting those 12,500 signatures, too. That's no joke. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I just had a feeling. Oh, I was surprised that uh, Rod Sawyer, Alderman of the Sixth Ward, actually submitted his petitions. I thought he might uh, drop out as well and run for uh, Alderman and Sophia King in the Fourth Ward. But, no, they're sticking to uh, running for mayor. So uh, they they kind of surprised me there. But, yeah, I predicted – I did. I predicted the last time we had a conversation that Raylo would uh, – uh, I love it when you uh, remember the predictions I make that are right <laughs> as opposed to the many ones I make that are wrong. Uh, you remember the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Right. I'm an optimist, not a pessimist. Yes. Uh, he's also a dear friend of mine. He's associate professor at Columbia College, and he's the author of Latinos in Chicago, Quest for Political Voice, uh, the great Dr. Wilfredo Cruz. Thank you very much, Wilfredo, for coming on my humble little podcast. Thank you, Ben Jarofsky, for having me. Always. Thank you. All right. That's the great Wilfredo Cruz. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.